Happy Friday morning, everyone. It is the first week of July and it's roll-up time. David, you ready to dig in? I am ready to dig in to the Friday Weekly Rollups, the best episode in all of crypto, at least I think. This is where we go through what's happened in the last week of crypto. We go through the markets, what's happened in the markets. We go through the releases, what's got, what got released, and then we go through what's happened in the news cycle. And then we finish off with who had some interesting takes in the crypto ecosystem. And then we finish things off with what David and Ryan are excited about. And then we finish that off with the meme of the week. <laughs> Still not finished until the meme of the week comes. Then you know it's over. All right, man, you ready to dig in? Yeah, let's do it, Ryan. All right, before we do, we got to talk about Kyber's Rainmaker program going on. They are making it rain, making it rain KNC tokens. This is their long-awaited liquidity mining program that they've just launched 25 million over the next three months they are dishing out to liquidity providers we've got uh eth usdc pairs uh wrapped bitcoin pairs die pairs everything and across two chains not one chain two chains ethereum two chains. and polygon <laughs> that's uh that's pretty cool uh love that kyber's doing this they are an og DeFi protocol so click on the link in the show notes if you want to learn more about how you can supply liquidity and start earning some of that rain yourself. Uh, Kyber is one of the oldest projects in DeFi, and they are in the capital efficiency game with their dynamic market maker, which changes fees according to market conditions to make sure that you are optimized in your LP position. So check that out. David wanted to fit the words capital efficiency. Mm -hmm. And I know, I know you did, David. You wrote a fantastic <laughs> article on that. David, let's start market time, man. Let's start with Bitcoin price. What is Bitcoin price doing for us? I'm going to scroll out to the uh, the five day and see where we started. I think that was like the third or something. Yeah, we started at $35,000, fell down to $32,700. Then we jumped to $36,000. Then we dumped to $32,000. And now we're at $32,800. So flat on the week, basically where flat we started. But, crap. but also did jump up a little bit. It is nice to have a pretty high in the middle of the week, even though we didn't end there. It's nice to claim some of that high territory, which I'd say- Yeah, good Wednesday. We had a yeah, good hump day. We had a good Wednesday. I guess. Yeah. yeah, good Wednesday. There was a hump on the hump day. Nice. <laughs> Do you know what though? Um, I feel like Bitcoin's in maybe a bit of a rut. I don't know if you feel this way. It's mm -hmm. like the, uh, coming off of Bitcoin Miami, we had the El Salvador news that yep. kind of spiked things a little bit, but that's sort of died down, right? Mm -hmm. People aren't really excited. And I'm talking narratives, of course, here, not fundamentals. Um, but the happening is behind us too. Uh, Michael Saylor putting Bitcoin on your corporate uh, balance sheet, that hasn't quite spread like wild, wildfire, right. where yeah. the, the Bitcoin bulls were saying it would maybe in January of, right. of this year. Any takes there? Do you feel like Bitcoin's in a rut too? And how does it get out of this rut? Yeah, I'm sure Michael Saylor would like a few more allies than he thought that he would have gotten by now. Um, but at the same time, I think Bitcoiners will say that the halving event doesn't manifest in the price until like two years later, right? That is like what the halving is apparently. Uh, and so they always stock will say- Stock to flow, right? Yeah, stock to flow, right? Um, if, if you believe in that. Uh, and so there, the when I when I talked to my uh, Bitcoiner co-host over at POV Crypto, CK, he talked about how like, you know, it's going to take the, a world, the world a while to integrate the El Salvador news into their understanding of Bitcoin. And so like the price appreciation happens later, right? There's always a lag. Um, which sounds both true if we look at the historical evidence of Bitcoin, the catalysts always appear in the charts later, but there's also like, you can also say that that's just an excuse, uh, you know, if the markets integrate everything in the moment of, uh, and so, you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, like unlike Ethereum, which has like a bunch of 
positive tailwinds coming its way. Ethereum, Bitcoin just kind of feels like floating out at sea. Like, where's it going to go next? We don't really yeah, know. Yeah, there's not another happening for right. a while, right? A, so a what, while. Is the next, what is the next catalyst? That remains to be seen. But let's... Yeah. Uh, it let's ain't taproot, let me tell you that. <laughs> it's not? Okay. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about uh, Ether for, for a second. So price of Ether, where are we now? Where did we start? Yeah, we started the week at $2,170. $2,170 dipped down to $2,000. Then we jumped to $2,400, which it got everyone really excited. And now we are back down to literally exactly where we started at $2,170. There's some good news about this, David. And that is ETH is at an all-time low on exchanges, mm -hmm. like a two and a half year low. So people are pulling their Ether from exchanges. This is awesome. This is mm -hmm. great for banklessness because it means they're either holding it uh, you know, privately, self-sovereignly, which is awesome, mm -hmm. or they're using it in some sort of a DeFi protocol. Maybe they're trading it on Uniswap or providing liquidity on something like Kyber rather than uh, rather than hold it inside a crypto bank. So I feel like this is pretty bullish. It also probably means, David, they're not, not exiting or not planning to exit to fiat, mm -hmm. which is another good sign. Any takes here? Yeah, it, it, the ETH on exchange uh, metric is always interesting. When there's low ETH on exchanges, that always means that like price can be volatile and people generally think it's volatile to the upside just because like if there's no ETH to sell because the ETH isn't on the exchange, so there's only people who can buy ETH who want to buy it. And if there are people that want to buy it because there's not a lot of ETH on exchanges, it moves the price faster to the upside. Granted, DeFi is also a place to buy and sell ETH, right? So a lot of ETH could be moving off of the exchanges and going into DeFi to be sold on Uniswap. So it's not necessarily that there isn't ETH available to sell. It's just not, like we, like you said, it's not available to sell to go back to people's banks bank accounts. So this is a bearish metric for people who are thinking that people are trading their ETH, like you said, to go to fiat. Um, however, you can still trade your ETH and go to crypto dollars, but that stays you, in, in you the You can, you can go to crypto dollars and crypto dollars to me feels also, um, somewhat temporary, or at least yeah. it is net positive for ether, right? right? You're still using those transaction fees right. on Ethereum. You're still using DeFi. Let's, let's take a look at some of this ETH is definitely going into, <laughs> yeah. taking beacon chain deposit contract, mm -hmm. dude, happy 6 million, man. 6 million in the so, deposit contract. That's great. There's over 6 million Ether in the deposit contract right now. So I guess like the quick math on that is what? It's just over 6% of mm. all ETH supply. Uh, a little bit less. A little bit the less. The deposit contract. Uh, yes, a little bit less. Yeah, because there's roughly 117 million Ether and there's 6 million Ether in the deposit contract. Uh, right. So a little bit less. So, I mean, super impressive though. I mean, um, I remember, do you remember the discussions we were having in like winter or late fall? of 2020 is like oh is anyone going to put their, their <laughs> the one-way bridge we it's a one-way bridge what, fam. what was the threshold we needed half a million yeah half yeah. a million <laughs> like, are we going to be able to make it are we going to be able to get half a million either <laughs> these were the questions we, we were it. asking i think we made it i think it's okay it's going to be okay mm -hmm. let's talk about that eth bitcoin um ratio uh, what's that doing? So I'm, I'm seeing some ups and I'm seeing some downs, but more ups than downs. In the last we week, you're seeing up, man. And that's really the, the story. Uh, the, I think the ETH BTC ratio tells a bigger story than the ETH dollar or Bitcoin dollar. Uh, the biggest story, maybe the roll-ups. Yeah, and in, uh, the same story is also being told, we're going to get to this, the on the ETH DPI ratio, which is also looking just like the ETH BTC ratio. Um, 
we, we are establishing this floor at 0.055 ETH per BTC. And we could definitely range between where we are now at 0.065 and 0.55. Like there's definitely room to bounce back and forth here. But what the story that I am seeing is that when it does hit that 0.055 level, it rockets back up. Maybe not rocket, but it sets a, it's got a very solid foundation floor at 0.055, which again is historically a high ETH BTC valuation. Uh, and so when, when I see Ether hitting 0.055 and just rejecting it and going back up, that's indicating to me that people are still risk on. This is a, a in my opinion, a great proxy for overall the bull market. If you are asked, if you want to ask the question, is the bull market over? I think you should look to the ETH BTC ratio because that tells the story. You know, David, I think you're spitting a lot of wisdom here, man, because mm -hmm. especially we we're just talking about the, you know, Bitcoin price in a rut the doldrums, no mm -hmm. tailwinds ahead in terms of narrative for uh, Bitcoin that we can see in the future. Mm -hmm. But there are a ton of right. tailwinds ahead for Ether. We're going to talk about some of those when we get to kind of the news mm -hmm. and, um, and and some of our takes on that. But like EIP 1559, mm -hmm. uh, the merge, all of these things are going to be tailwinds for ETH. So mm -hmm. if we're going to have a continuance of the bull run, we need ETH to run. Yep. Yep. And we need this ratio to continue uh, going in the direction. And it's going. Evan Van Ness will happily say that Ether and Ethereum always leads bull markets. Uh, and so when we see the ETH BTC ratio rising, that's that's where we get to say is like, oh, this bull market is still still looking good. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, let's uh, talk about other bull market indicators. Mm -hmm. uh, value locked in DeFi. So that's been hanging slightly up, slightly up. Slightly up a little bit. So $55 billion of value locked in, in DeFi, hanging in the 50s or so. Uh, not too bad. Um, let's, talk, let's talk about DeFi, DeFi tokens, mm -hmm. as measured by the DPI, the DeFi Pulse Index, which we talk about every week. So a little bit up on that, up too. Up on the week. Like up on the week, yeah. DeFi tokens were catching a bid this yep. week. Mm-hmm. We started so, started at $260 to start the week, ended at $300, but also hit a midweek high again on Wednesday, hump day, at, of $350. Uh, and so I think we should go ahead and go right into the ETH DPI conversation, Ryan. You've been waiting for this. Oh, okay. yeah. It's Look above, at that number. You're, you're Look at that 0.13. Okay, so I called the bottom at 0.13. It broke down below 0.13 for a solid like 8, 9, 10 days. But I and, think... And you said, to be fair, you said... Mm -hmm. Give it two weeks. If it right. doesn't break for two weeks, that's right. what you said two, two uh, weekly roll-ups ago, then you're still in the mm -hmm. clear. So, so you're still feeling okay. It's not, I, I will admit that I did not call the absolute bottom. So like, I guess if you want to be really strict about this and say the number fell below 0.13, yes, the number fell below 0.13. So I did Part not call the absolute Part of me wants to be strict on this, David, but I'll give you some grace too. You, here. Yeah, well, okay. So like, <laughs> let's let's think about things in six months, in 2022. 2022. Say, for example, that DeFi tokens finally get the bids that they deserve and DPI resurges back to previous levels and maybe even goes on the bull market that we've all been wanting the DeFi tokens to go on the bull market for and they break previous cycles. Then then what are you going to say? Like, oh, David didn't call the bottom of no. 0.13 because it was be okay. 0 0.12. It's like, even though DPI is, is at 0.3 or something. Like, it's going to be a I'd, great bottom call. I'd also say, so if this bull run turns into like ash and mm -hmm. sadness, right? And um, we're ranging in this, you know, 2000 or so range for ETH. Mm -hmm. I'd also give Eric Connor some credit for calling like 2500 that's ETH a fair point because he kind of deserves that because it shot mm -hmm. up right. above but not for too long right. so like the spirit of the prediction is intact so right. david the spirit of your prediction is intact and that's what's important but we'll man. see for now 
we'll see what happens. No, that, Every that week is, we're going to be checking up on you. That is a really good point, I think, about Eric's uh, top call. If, for those that aren't following, Eric Connard made the top call of $2,500 for ETH price. Then we rocketed above that to $4,300, making Eric wrong. But we have spent a lot of time below $2,500 <laughs> Even in, in contrast to how much time Gravity. we spent above it, right? And so, like, while the call was technically wrong, the more and more time we spend below that number, the more and more Eric is in the spirit of things correct, which makes Ooh, me really angry. Uh, and so, I I really would like <laughs> ETH price to get it back above two thousand five hundred, so I can start gloating against Eric Connor again. There you go. We could do that anyway. All right, let's talk about this. You know, uh, this is a metric I wanted to include in metrics, David, because NFT bear market is what people are saying ain't no bear market apparently that's just a meme that's just a thing that people it say. is <laughs> it's a thing that people said you say because look at this open sea volume so this is like kind of a um an ebay let's say for nfts where mm -hmm. all of the nfts are being sold on kind of secondary markets um best volume ever mm -hmm. in june best yep. volume ever yep. 150 million in volume higher than the peak of the mania higher than the peak of the mania Mm -hmm. So quote unquote NFTs, mania, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like there are some categories of NFTs that are down, mm -hmm. like um, you know, top shots, maybe mm -hmm. um, a few other categories, but there are others right. that are up and right. in aggregate, ain't no bear market here. NFTs mm -hmm. are still plowing ahead full steam. And and opinion. like I think that just makes sense. I think when people are saying, oh, there's an NFT bear market, what they are really saying is like, oh, my I'm NFTs not, are down. My <laughs> NFTs are down. I'm no longer getting really rich really quickly on yeah. NFTs. Like this random NFT project that I just aped into didn't make me any money. Like, yes, that side of NFTs is in a bear market. There are some NFT projects that are going to zero just because the market didn't want them. NFTs as a whole, NFTs as, as an industry, uh, doing just fine. Uh, and so there's definitely a con uh, consolidation to quality going on in the NFT market. And we are seeing that play out. But this makes sense too, right? If you think about like collectibles, which collectibles are in, in style, you know, mm -hmm. 90 K for 90s kids, it was like pogs. Right. And then it's like at one point in time, it was like beanie babies. And all I of do these not things. remember pogs. I never okay. figured out what pogs are. <laughs> you didn't know what pogs are. Okay. So like <laughs> some of you guys listening, remember pogs and like, anyway, collectibles as a whole, has not gone down, but individual collectibles mm -hmm. uh, and categories of collect collectibles have had their, their their cycles. Maybe NFTs are starting to reflect some of that. Anyway, oh. like David, it. we are going to get to releases, but before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Balancer is a powerful platform for flexible automated market makers. Typical AMMs just have two tokens inside of one liquidity pool, which can lead to fractured liquidity across the many pairs in DeFi. With Balancer, you can access the full power of multiple tokens inside of one single AMM, which unlocks an entirely new playing field of possibility. This makes Balancer an awesome building block for so many different use cases. Balancer pools can make asset indices, but instead of paying fees to portfolio managers, Balancer lets you collect the fees from traders who use your portfolio for liquidity. Additionally, Balancer Smart Pools can be programmed to have properties that change according to predetermined rules, such as changing the swap fee based on market conditions, or even liquidity bootstrapping pools, which can help you launch and distribute your token with day one liquidity. At Bankless, we use a liquidity bootstrapping pool to sell our BAP t-shirts to much success. Balancer V2 brings powerful new features that makes your money work even harder for you. In V2, idle tokens are capable of generating yield in DeFi without sacrificing liquidity in the pool using Balancer's asset managers. 
Balancer's vault architecture lets you trade between balancer pools at a fraction of the cost versus trading on other platforms. Balancer's mission is to become the primary source of liquidity in DeFi by providing the most flexible and powerful platform for asset management and decentralized exchange. Dive into the balancer pools at app.balancer.fi. Gemini is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got into crypto in 2017, and it's been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and in over 50 countries worldwide. And on Gemini, there are markets for over 30 various different crypto assets, including many of the hot DeFi tokens. And it's one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Gemini just launched their Earn program, where you can earn up to 7.4% interest on 26 various crypto assets. If you're tired of paying fees in DeFi, or you don't want to worry about DeFi exploits, but you still want to earn interest on your crypto assets, Gemini Earn is the product for you. Another product I'm stoked to get my hands on is the Gemini Crypto Back Credit Card, which gives you 3% cash back on all of your purchases, but paid to you in your preferred crypto asset. When I get my Gemini credit card, I'm going to make sure that I get my cash back in ETH. So whenever I buy something, I get a little bit of ETH bonus back to me at the same time. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at gemini.com slash go bankless. And if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign up, you'll be gifted a free $15 Bitcoin bonus. Check them out at gemini.com slash go bankless. All right, guys, we are back with releases. David, this is an almost release, but it still counts because we release of a release. It. It's a release of a release. It's a release date, which is super exciting for EIP 1559. We're What's talking that? about I haven't heard of that one. Oh, oh, <laughs> you're about to hear about it then, <laughs> sir. August 4th is the date. Mm-hmm. Uh, August 4th. So that is going to be maybe a, an Ethereum holiday in the future. I don't know. It's a really, it's a really exciting milestone for Ethereum and Tim Bako, who is kind of the, I guess, coordinating lead mm-hmm. for this EIP has been shepherding. For, for Ethereum the 1, actually, as, yes. as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, he has confirmed this. So it's merged. It's in GitHub. The date is merged. The go live date is um, is set. So unless something big happens between right. now and August 4th, looks like August 4th is going to be the day for EIP 1559, which includes the, the, the new gas transaction auction mechanism and also... The ether burn, super exciting, man, to have a date finally. Yeah, uh, and granted, asterisk. If something goes wrong on the test nets, then it will get kicked out. But if nothing goes wrong, then it's going to be the fourth. That's basically the the two paths that we have forward with us. It's really awesome to have a date, August fourth. Like holy shit, that's so cool. It's so close. Uh, Bankless and Ethub are going to do a live stream. We are talking with Anthony and, and Eric to get that going. And so there will be an EIP. No matter what time of day. No matter what time of like day. More, like, whatever. I, yeah, we woke up at four in the morning to do the, the ETH uh, 2.0 Beacon Chain launch uh, live stream. And there's, there's no other time that we couldn't do if we wouldn't do four in the morning. Uh, so what, whenever that's <laughs> happening, uh, there's going to be a live stream. So stay, stay tuned for that. Yeah, we'll be there. This is cool. This makes it real too, is when you start to see Etherscan showing the fee burn. Look at this at the top here. This is on the, the Gorley test testnet, by the way. Yeah. Gorley testnet. Yep. But in Gorley testnet, and by the way, everything's going well in Gorley testnet, it seems like mm-hmm. um, there is a fee burn of over 80 ETH so far. Uh, of course, results will be totally different in right. mainnet, but it's so cool to see that on Etherscan. You can also see, get this, David, mm-hmm. on Etherscan, you can see uh, on the transaction, 
like an overview of the transaction, you can actually see the transaction fee savings, Mm -hmm. which I think what this calculates is what you maybe would have paid before versus what you're paying now. Is that what it's calculating or what is this? So I think what's going on here is that with EIP 1559, you can set how much you are willing to pay and then Ah. you will pay the base fee. And that's kind of like saying, just like how you are when you go into uh, MetaMask, when you want to do a custom gas uh, transaction, if you want to really tinker with your gas and make it specific, say you say you want to prioritize your transaction. So gas is at 50 and you want your transaction to go in ASAP. So you put in 70 uh, and then you overpay by roughly 20, 20 guay if your transactions would have otherwise gotten included for 50. With EIP 1559, you can put in 70 but if base fee is 50 or, or the right payment is 50, then you are not paying that extra 20. You are paying 50. And so this is reporting to you. It's like, hey, you bid up to this amount, but you actually paid this amount. So this is how much you saved. And this is actually where a lot of the confusion about EIP 1559 reducing gas costs came from. Uh, the, the, if, if EIP 1559 does reduce gas costs, it's from reducing the cognitive load of users who have to think about the right price to put in their transaction and also perhaps getting that number wrong. So that's where if there's any fee savings, it's yeah. coming at the human brain level, not at the protocol level. But that that human brain level shouldn't be underestimated, right? Because sure. like if you're if you're bidding like 70 on that mm-hmm. transaction and I get the inkling that you're bidding 70, I'm going to bid sure. 71, 72 right. and it just kind of escalates in a very mm-hmm. rapid fashion. That's how mm-hmm. the mechanism kind of incents people to just keep outbidding one another. Totally. In this model, um, it doesn't matter, right? right. Like cuz you you'll get the savings back anyway. Uh, super cool. So just to be clear, EIP 15559 does not save gas fees at the protocol level. It makes gas fees easier to reason about, and that allows you to make more precise choices about how you spend your gas, which can cause you to spend less gas. And it also burns that sweet ease. It also burns it. We talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Let's talk about this. Mm-hmm. This is the Beacon book, David. Super cool. This is kind of a, an NFT an actual physical book. This almost looks, <clears throat> sorry, to me, like an almanac of some sorts. You know, after a team like wins a sports championship, like the World Series, they'll publish a book. It'll be quotes from the MVPs, all of the players on the team. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what this reminds me of, only it's for the developers of Ethereum 2 and the Beacon Chain, all of these researchers that have been hard at work bringing this thing to market. This kind of commemorates them. Uh, super cool. Yeah, this is uh, led by Trent Van Epps and other contributors to the uh, Stateful Works project, which is producing the Beacon book. This is an actual book. Uh, you can go and read it. It's online. It's just a, it will, it really, so it's a wall of text, but you can actually pr- uh, produce a, a physical book and purchase a physical book if you want to compete for one of those. They're going to be in high demand. Um, this is a, a uh, I think, how would I want to describe this? This is like a, a timestamp of Ethereum progress and development, right? This is going to the Ethereum developers, the actual protocol of Ethereum, people who work at client teams, people who work at the EF, and they talk about their their experience of building out Ethereum, right? This is a, going to be a one-of-a-kind piece of, of this art uh, because and, or book or illustration. Uh, it's free for you to read, uh, but purchasing a physical copy is an NFT, so that there's going to be competition for that. But this is really just instantiating a lot of just, just blood, sweat, and tears of the Ethereum developers, the Ethereum builders, to get Ethereum to where it is today. So, so Trent and the Stateful Works team have done a fantastic job just honoring all of the labor of the Ethereum developers that they have put 
into Ethereum over the last six years into the Beacon book. Uh, and so go ahead and check it out. Go give it a read. Get your learn on. This will be a great learning moment. Uh, and then if you want to compete for some of the NFTs and some of the uh, actual physical books, uh, go right ahead. Absolutely. Collected piece of Ethereum history. David, let's uh, talk a little bit about Polygon. This is part mm -hmm. of kind of the layer two summer. I know Polygon is, is a side chain, but layer two summer, nonetheless, kind of a, a test ramp for all of the, mm -hmm. the layer twos that are coming out. Balancer joins Polygon uh, with a $10 million joint token incentive program. This is kind of what we're talking about with yep. layer two summer, where you have protocol plus the, uh, the layer two itself rewarding users and incenting them to deposit liquidity into their protocol on layer two. Dual yield farming is hot. So if you are bullish on BAL and you are bullish on Matic, you can go and get liquidity incentives using Balancer on Polygon. So congratulations to Balancer for launching on Polygon. I'm sure that they are also probably going to be building on Arbitrum and Optimism too. Uh, and so oh, maybe we also see some BAL rewards over there as well. You know, what's cool is this is starting to get all of the infrastructure. Uh, I remember probably uh, just a couple of years ago when, when it hit me that, oh my God, all of DeFi is going to have to re-architect itself right. on layer two. And like, what a lift that would take. Right. But you know what, David? It's happening. Right. And it's happening much more incrementally than I thought it would. Here is mm -hmm. Zapper now supporting Balancer Labs on ZeroX, um, on, on Polygon. So you could just zap into a position the same way you would on mainnet now on Polygon, which is super cool. Um, this is Dune Analytics integrating with with Polygon, and the same recipe, the same playbook of that they're they're pulling off on Polygon. That's going to take place in the other um, notable layer twos like Optimism and Arbitrum, and it's going to happen really fast mm -hmm. from this point on. So it's great to see that infrastructure support pouring in as well. And, and we have to see that infrastructure report. Uh, uh infrastructure being built out on these on these uh l2s because like it's one thing if the apps are there but like it, the infrastructure is crucial like i think people underestimate how important infrastructure is uh using matic before there was a polygon scan the, the fork of ether scan was was kind of like using a black box like if your transaction did something weird it was impossible to go and check out what happened to it without Polygon Scan. Uh, and so getting all of these like classic infrastructure tools up and running for all these L2s is really going to be what makes and breaks an L2. Uh, you, you need the infrastructure to go along with you. That's also, that's also why Arbit uh, Optimism has uh, been more slow to, to launch versus Arbitrum, uh, just because they are just really dotting their I's and crossing their T's to make sure that they have the infrastructure to go along with all the apps at the same time. So when Arbit uh, Optimism rolls out, it should come with a suite of infrastructure. So it really emulates the experience of using Ethereum at the base layer on op Optimism on day one. That infrastructure, man, really provides such a moat for the EVM as well, right? Totally. So if you're, if you're launching a, a, a layer two or even a layer one, EVM support just gets you some of that infrastructure right out of the box. Totally. Um, David, let's, let's talk a bit more about this. Like the distinction between sidechain and layer two we've made before, but what about the distinction between a sidechain and a testnet. We're just talking about Gorley testnet, mm -hmm. of course, that this is a te testnet for Ethereum mainnet. This is where EIP-1559 is running and the London hard fork is running. But this from uh, Andre, my mm -hmm. friend Andre, um, formerly YFI, you know, uh, DeFi builder extraordinaire. When some of the newest stuff that he's built, he actually added support for Gorley testnet, okay? So like the DeFi products he's building, like in addition to other layer twos and mm -hmm. side chains and Ethereum mainnet, he's also adding 
Gourley Testnet as an option. But what that does, David, is that makes Gourley not a Testnet anymore because it makes the uh, Gourley ETH, Go ETH, it's called, makes it valuable potentially. Right. What's that distribution like? Man, people used to like, I have some somewhere, I right. think, unless it kind of expired or, or disappeared. I'm not sure. But like a ton of developers have um, this Go ETH and it kind of clouds the difference mm-hmm. between a testnet and a sidechain if there's actual economic value attached to some of these Go ETH tokens. Any takes on this? Yeah, my, my gut take is this is weird and I don't understand why <laughs> they're doing this. Uh, but but Andre and then also Banteg from, from Yearn, they're both like, bullish on this they're both excited about it they both think that Gorley could be an l2 scaling solution to ethereum it sounds like they know more than me and so let me asterisk what i'm about to say with saying that they might just straight up be more informed about what this could be but Gorley is an ethereum fork right it's a it's a clone of ethereum that's meant to be an ethereum testnet it's not any more scaled than ethereum itself to my knowledge and if it is, it's it's scaled in the same way Binance Smart Chain is scaled, which is just tinkering with some numbers that really shouldn't be tinkered with. And the reason why you can tinker it with with that on Gorley is because it's a testnet. There's nothing at stake. It's it's if it if it explodes, it doesn't matter because it's a testnet. In my opinion, testnets should be testnets. And there is a there's terrible Gorley ETH distribution. I'm pretty sure there's like two people that have like more than fifty or two addresses that have like more than fifty percent Gorley ETH. Or there's some like terrible distribution of that. If you're start to, starting to use Gorley ETH as money or as some valuable asset, the distribution of Gorley ETH becomes really important. And the, it was never meant to be money. It was never meant to be distributed. So that it's become very concentrated. I'm skeptical of using testnets as L2s. Testnets or testnets? L2s or L2s? Yeah, look, it just it just makes it a different thing, right? And right. I think mm-hmm. this is why some of the people, like developers uh, of Ethereum, particularly who have testnet deployments, are kind of pissed off about this because it kind of ruins the testnet. I mean, right. like, are you going to, uh, how incented are you going right. to be now to give your GoEth to someone who's just testing right. something out? Right. If it has gonna, economic value, we're going to start doing like go ETH improvement proposals now. Like- yeah, exactly. So, so what it what it kind of does is it um, it makes it a different thing than right. what it was. So if you right. if you make if you make um, Gorley testnet an incentivized sidechain system, then you just need a different a new testnet. Right. We have to go create another testnet, yeah. and I think people are angry about this because uh, I, I would like some further analysis on this from people who are more privy uh, to these conversations, but, but- also. You can't stop it, right? Can't stop it. Like once it starts, you can't stop it. So we'll we'll have to talk about this uh, as it emerges a bit more. Um, Ave Pro coming in July. David, we did an episode, State of the Nation, with Robert Lesher on this, all about institutions coming to DeFi. This mm-hmm. is the DeFi mullet thesis. No, 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 no. Take on this. DeFi coming to institutions. Ah, yes. Important well distinction. Important distinction. Yeah. So, so what is this? Ave Pro seems mm-hmm. like kind of like Compound Treasury. Yep. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a the same Ave that we know and love. Same thing with Compound Treasuries. Same compound that we know and love. There is just a new interface or a new wrapper around the whole, pro- whole protocol that is uh, you know institution friendly, right? And so with uh, Compound Treasury and with Ave Pro, they solve a lot of just like the issues of using DeFi that we all know exist, like. Private keys are scary. Like once you get used to them, they're not, but initially they are, right? And also you need to have certain compliance and reporting requirements. Well, if you just make a wrapper around Aave and make a clone of Aave, a fork of Aave that uses Aave as the protocol, but only allows certain whitelisted players or certain entities in there who who need that sort of control, 
and allow them to use that wrapped version of Ave, uh, you know, protected Ave, if you will. Um, that is, and then and then again, it hooks into Ave underneath the actual Ave protocol that we are all using. Uh, and it's, so it's DeFi with training wheels. DeFi with training, training wheels. wheels. Yep. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. De a, a little bit of a bubble boy DeFi, uh, which is, <laughs> which is fine. That's what the institutions are familiar with. Uh, and so the 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 and the fact that we're seeing this in Ave and Compound at the same time is actually really interesting. Kind of tells you the rate of progress in this industry. Like if if and and we also saw this with uh, with L twos like. It just so happens that Optimism and Arbitrum are releasing both in July. Like funny coincidence, Ave Pro and Compound Treasury are also releasing around the same time. The rate of change, the rate of progress is like breakneck speeds because these these teams keep on releasing the same products around the same time. Anyways, this story is that DeFi is becoming institution ready and we are not waiting. We're not waiting on our hands for institutions to learn how to manage their private keys. We're just figuring out how to solve that problem for them and making it easier for them to come to us. So DeFi is building the bridge to institutions rather than institutions having to build the bridge to DeFi. And that's just how Ethereum works. Ethereum just solves its own problems. That's it's, it's really cool. Really opti optimistic story. This is this is uh, also going to bring a ton of liquidity, right? A ton of like value from institutions. And you know what I love about this too, David, is like um, it's the, the in this banking system, it's the institutions who need the training wheels, <laughs> not the retail investors. Yeah. We can use the power tools at right. will if we want. I feel like the traditional banking system is the complete opposite. Right. The institutions get the better banking mm -hmm. system, and mm -hmm. they give all of us retail consumers the training wheel version of the thing that's an that's an interesting take like robin hood is just financed with re, uh, with training wheels on it and then that here 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 is, retail dude. have robin hood here I here's mean, like what you the get. way they front run you alone sure, yeah. right like uh -huh. robin hood that's their business model no fees mm -hmm. retail right. but we're going to front run every right. trade and you don't actually mm -hmm. see that cost there mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. anyway let's talk about some raises this week uh the first is this index co-op the mm -hmm. dow just raised 7.7 .7 million from Galaxy Ventures, 1KX, a few other VC companies. Super cool, I think, that like a, a native DAO is now raising from VCs, right? It mm. started off with any outside without any outside VC investors, but now outside investors want to jump aboard this. Uh, I think that's kind of cool. It is cool. And the other the other thing that's cool is that um, the there is a one year lockup on these on these index tokens with six ah. months linear vesting. And the price that they got them at was pretty competitive. Usually when uh, like organizations like like with, you know, not too much liquidity on their tokens, try and sell their token, they give them a pretty good discount. There was not much of a discount on um, the index tokens being sold to these uh, into these investors. And so I believe uh, if I, I'm regurgitating this from, from Anthony Cezano, which I do happen to do a lot. Uh, they were sold for roughly $24.5 a piece, where index token is currently trading at $27. Um, so, uh, and I don't know when when these tokens were purchased. I, do, you, do you know what's cool about this too, David? Mm. Is that like retail had an opportunity to buy index co-op tokens before all of the VCs for I months. did. I did. I love it, right? Yeah. And like, mm -hmm. and then um, here the VCs have to get kind of our our table scraps. Yep, it's kind of nice. Yep. Again, training wheels. Yeah. If you've been paying attention to Bankless, if you've been paying attention to DeFi, like you can, you cannot have missed Index Co-op. Index Co-op is one of those tokens that I never feel like I you're not financial advice, blah blah blah. But like, I'm all, I'm just super bullish on Index. It's like the, the the DAO is super greased. Like it it works. Yeah. It's had a fantastic well product. It's got tons of revenue. Now it's finally getting the attention it deserves from from uh, you know larger firms. Uh, I'm bullish on Index, man.
bullish on index, bullish on DAOs in general, yep. bullish on this kind of capital coordination. Super cool. All right. Also, Zerion raised 8.2 million in a Series A fund. Just a great DeFi dashboard. Zerion is uh, is fantastic. It's kind mm-hmm. of a, a user interface. It's like a banking interface on top of all these DeFi protocols. I uh, love what those guys are doing too. Are you ready for news, David? Let's do it. All right, let's get to the news. Hey, we got to start with uh, a bank, JP Morgan. <laughs> they say Ethereum upgrades could jumpstart a $40 billion staking industry. So they're saying Ethereum, ETH2, Beacon Chain, that's going to jumpstart a $40 billion staking industry. It's like, yeah, guys, we've been telling you this. <laughs> but like, cool. Hey, you guys Better start it learning out. solidity. <laughs> Oh man. Well, I mean, the banks are saying it though now, right? Better late than never. Yeah. Yeah. If the banks are saying it, you know, it's like, oh yeah, this is starting to really breach into the mainstream. Do you know why they're saying it too? Look, uh, so the first bank, this is a Swiss bank called um, Signum. Signum? Signum. Signum. Thank you. (laughs) Wow. I've ventured that. Signum. Signum Bank is offering E2 staking services, Mm -hmm. right? So this is super cool because it is the first time a bank a registered financial bank institution in the jurisdiction of Switzerland is offering uh, a staking service. And this is recognition that Ether is, as we've been saying, an internet bond. This is going to deliver yields to people. Um, This is not my favorite way to stake, of course, right? Because this requires that you give this bank custody of your, your private keys. Although you can, uh, you can dictate a separate um, withdrawal contract. So, there might That's be cool. some intricacies where you don't like, you just give them kind of validating rights. I'm not sure how this is configured, how this is set up. Um, what's cool, I think, is that the banks are coming aboard. And if Ether is going to be a global reserve asset, which we think it will, if Ether is going to be an internet bond for the world, a non-sovereign bond competing with sovereign debt type uh, instruments and bonds, this kind of thing needs to happen. So it's, it's starting, man. This is domino one. And the rest are going to fall. JP Morgan report, this bank is now coming to staking. How soon until JP Morgan wants to start offering staking? Of course, important that we can still stake at home and we don't have to to use that non-sovereign or that um, we don't have to give up our sovereignty and our private keys to a bank. But still, they're coming along for the ride. It's kind of cool. This is the beauty of staking is that like any entity, because you can stake at home, any entity can therefore stake right? It's, this isn't mining. You don't need to have like privileged access to supply chains or just be interested in a multi-million dollar investment to a, a mining operation. All you need is a one computer to stake and then banks can stake, you know, funds can stake. Anyone can stake. Anyone can make a staking product. So that governments makes, could stake. Governments can stake. And that makes staking really, really competitive. And at, from a, an Ethereum security protocol, uh, from an Ethereum protocol security perspective, that's really, really good because you want there to be an extreme amount of competition in the staking world. Uh, and so I invite all banks to open up, you know, staking products, staking services, because I want more stake to happen because that makes Ethereum more secure. And it's also bullish for, for Ether. Uh, and so th- this is one of the many little, um, tiny little flags blowing in the wind that say, hey, uh, Ether is going to become the world's internet bond, and it starts with just competitive staking. And many it starts many, many different things with many, many different ways. But one of the ways it starts is competitive staking across the globe. Yep. 
Absolutely. Uh, David, let's talk about this. Andre, the uh, creator of Wi-Fi and the Wi-Earn ecosystem, he's on a tear again. I feel like it's back. I feel like this is why this is in the news section. It's because Andre is back and he is building. So these are a few things he's built. LevX is one. Um, protection markets, some sort of on-chain insurance, uh, Ave Delegate. <laughs> like He's just like pushing stuff out. There's about five or six things here that he's pushed out and um, into into GitHub. And, uh, you know, one of DeFi's biggest builders is, is back, maybe mm -hmm. from a brief break or hiatus or what, what's your take on this? Yeah, and this actually isn't all of the the entire list of what he's built. He also released another project uh, on his own medium that, that he announced as well. Um, people are stoked that Andre is building again. Um, there's, a, there's, there's some mixed opinions on this um, because whenever Andre was building something right after a year and it attracted all the attention, it actually kind of pissed Andre off. Um, and then Andre kind of like went dormant, went quiet just because he didn't enjoy being the person that's like, oh, Andre's building. What's he building next? What am I going to ape into next? What's the next YFI? Uh, and so he looks like he's just releasing a bunch of, of prototypes, a bunch of code. It looks like it also is just infrastructure for other prototypes. These aren't going to be tokenized projects. None of these have tokens. None yeah. of these have tokens. Yeah. Uh, and so maybe that's kind of what Andre does nowadays is helps just build in little attachments or little add-ons to already existing projects. I don't really know. Um, the day that Andre does build a project with a token is going to be an interesting one if he even decides to do that or not. I don't mean maybe he's lost the taste for it. We should have him on again, David. That's yeah. what we should do. Now that he's back, we should have him on Bankless sure. again. It's been sure. about a year. It has been about a year. Uh, yeah, you're right. David, let's talk NFT world. So Axie is on an absolute tear. Look at this uh, revenue. Yep. Mm. Pretty up crazy. Into the, up into the right. Axie Infinity. What are, what are people doing with Axie? Uh, Axie Infinity is kind of like a Pokemon game, but with on-chain scarcity uh, mechanisms built in. Uh, so you raise and breed little Axie creatures, and then you make them fight. <laughs> <Which> <laughs> to the death? We, we, I, I, I mean, to the metaphorical death. I think you, I'm pretty sure you get it years back. Uh, you level them up. Uh, each one has different properties. Um, and people are really, they, they have been one of those, I wouldn't say dormant, but, you know, kind of heads down building projects with a very committed community fan based following that would play this game but it has absolutely taken off in the last uh in the last like maybe two three weeks or so broken into the absolute like mainstream news cycle of crypto we are actually bringing jiho on the state of the nation next week on tuesday to talk all about axie infinity and the uh, explosion of growth that they've seen in the last two weeks so if you are interested in this story we will be reporting on it on the state of the nation on tuesday here's the meme term to remember uh you ready Ready for it? Play to earn. Ah, Play yeah. to earn. That's what's happening in Axie. And I think this is a, a model that is just beginning that crypto uh, game studios are really pioneering. I expect to see a lot more. I expect to see more from like even Gods Unchained in the future totally. around that. All right, David, uh, Bitcoin world. There's really not too much to talk about this week. Uh, all is quiet in, in, in Bitcoin land. Um, so let's, uh, let's hop over to regulation. Um, China's central bank worried that stablecoins pose risk to the financial system. Do you think this is also because it's kind of a USDC, it's sorry, it's the dollar seeping into uh, Chinese markets and they want to pr um, protect the sovereignty of their currency and the, and the reserve currency status of uh, the Chinese um, you know, one. It's, it's absolutely that. There's nothing that China wants more than to dethrone the dollar and place the yuan there. Uh, and so, of course, they don't want, you know, stable coins to exist because stable coins are dollars. They're not yuan, your yen or whatever. Um, and so, 
Yuan, thank you. Um, <laughs> important note. Uh, and so th this is completely antithetical to what China wants. China doesn't like free markets. China doesn't want, you know, permissionless finance. They want you to use their currency on, on their rails. Uh, and while the U.S. isn't 100% aligned with crypto dollars and they also kind of want their own CBDC, they are much more cool with stable coins out of the private market than, than China is, yeah. that's for sure. You know what's, you know what's funny is the game theory of this is if China hates it, I bet the U.S. will Loves start it. liking it more. Yeah. It's like, oh, stable coins, private stable mm. coins, they're great. Now right. we don't need a central bank digital currency. Right. We'll privatize it all and export the, that way. The private markets built our CBDC for us? Oh, thanks, <laughs> thanks guys. guys. <laughs> Kind of could be, it could go in that direction. Right. So um, remains to be seen. It's But there's so much game theory going on about the world reserve currency status, particularly with, with fiat. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about this. Ransomware hackers demand 70 uh, million in Bitcoin and they claim a massive US attack as Biden investigates possible Russian involvement. David, I didn't even catch this story. What is this story talking about? Yeah, that, this has been a reoccurring theme over the last last few months there's just been more and more ransomware attacks that have been using bitcoin as a currency and so it's an, an unfortunate pr issue for our industry i'm not even going to say just bitcoin just for crypto at large uh, even though all these attacks have been happening with bitcoin people kind of associate it with crypto at large because it is um and and so th this is going to be a fight that our our industry is going to have to tackle head on and also there's no reason why this can't happen with crypto dollars or stable coins as well uh, and so NLW had a really good take on this is what, what, who do you think is going to get blamed? Do you think Bitcoin is going to get blamed or do you think Russia is going to get blamed? Probably going to be both, to be honest. Um, but overall, this is uh, an unfortunate reality of the world that we live in. It's a bad PR for our industry uh, and permissionless finance allows you to do permissionless finance things. Look, you know, one thing I've learned about politicians, it's they'll blame who, whoever it's most politically expedient to blame, mm. Right. And so right. one day it might be Russia, the next it might be Bitcoin, depends on what the political aims are going to be. But yeah, it's not great PR, that's for right. sure. Especially when um, Bitcoin doesn't have a single representative to defend itself, it's easy to defend or to attack something that can't defend itself. Like yeah, the, the Bitcoin exactly. cyber hornets can can yell on Twitter saying, no, this is FUD, but like there's no actual, like Satoshi isn't coming to say like, hey, this is this is bullshit, don't attack Bitcoin on this one. Um, like there's also no, there's no a defender. strength. Also a strength. Also a strength. strength, right. Uh -huh. so, Double-edged sword there. Um, all right, let's talk about this. Uh, Stablecoin firm Circle is going public via a SPAC merger. This is pretty cool. This, and the brand, new. Super, this is brand new as of this, this morning. Brand new, this is a couple hours news. old, yeah. Mm -hmm. The numbers are, uh, are crazy. Um, look at this. The deal values Circle at $4.5 billion. Whoa! Look, we're just, I know. We are just talking about stablecoins, right? And uh, USDC is one of the most popular stablecoins. Definitely... The most legitimate stable coins out there. Tether is the only other competitor, but doesn't right. have the legitimacy that USDC right. does. And Circle is a primary issuer of that. Four point five billion. That's a big bet on stable coins. Big bet. Yeah. Go, uh, no, congr public. Congrats to uh, to uh, Jeremy Alaire and everyone at Circle, and probably also Coinbase is involved with this one as well. USDC just really planting a flag as the de facto crypto dollar, fiat backed crypto dollar. Uh, in in the ecosystem, um, congrats! This is this is a really this is a really uh, I, I feel like a monumental moment for the industry. Like there are many monumental moments, but like it's a mini Coinbase. I it's a mini like Coinbase. I, I, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. very adds to the legitimacy of the industry.
All right, David, uh, speaking of legitimacy in the industry, America's first legal DAO was approved in Wyoming. Wyoming has been a state that's been very friendly to crypto regulation. And overall, I'm really enthusiastic and like excited about the approach that they've taken. Even recognizing DAOs as a thing is just amazing. So very bullish on that, although not perfect. Um, I read an analysis from a, a legal substack, legal, crypto legal substack that I follow. And there's some weirdness about this, right? So DAOs, uh, DAOs in this structure cannot be manager managed. So people can't actually be behind it. It has to be algorithmically managed. So um, that what adds that some mean? weirdness to it. Yeah, there's some description here, but it just means it's more, it's like, it's more difficult to have, um, you know, a centralized institution kind of give up control. Uh, it has to be completely decentralized at the start. So there's some 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 issues there. Also, if you're going to do this in Wyoming, you have to put uh, DAO in the name, right? Okay. All right. So like it has to be called uh, something DAO, right? It can't just be bankless. It has to be bankless DAO, which is convenient for bankless DAO, I guess. <laughs> but not so convenient if you're Ave or Uniswap and you don't want to be called Uniswap DAO necessarily. It also really um, kills my interest and effort in trying to promote digital organizations or DAOs, oh yeah, not dead, DAOs. It's, DAO, it's not a DAO, it's a do. <laughs> but no, apparently apparently, I'm giving up on that fight. Yeah, well, we'll see. Maybe you'll win it in the next round. Um, the bill also requires the DAOs to maintain a person, a registered agent in Wyoming. So there still has to be. So again, it's kind of a first draft, right? It's good that Wyoming is doing this, but it's a little ham-fisted on the implementation. Right. Still, no discouragement. Like, kudos, guys. You're actually pushing in the right direction. With some revisions, this could be something really cool. So yeah. we'll, we'll look forward to the future. They're trying. They're trying their best. They're trying what, their what best. What I hard. don't like about this is that this is the nation state telling DAOs what they need to do. And the whole point about Ethereum is to not have to do that. Uh, DAOs, I, I know. DAOs belong to Ethereum. They owe no homage to any nation state. I guess if they want the perks of being instantiated in a nation state, this is like the coupler. There should be like a legal coupler. Yes. This is that a coupler. coupler. There should right. be a bridge to the right. nation state. Right. And this is kind of a ham-fisted bridge, but at least it's a bridge. It's Do a you bridge. know what I mean? Yeah. I so mean, it's something. I'm, I am most bullish on pure DAOs, as in DAOs that exist on Ethereum and Ethereum alone. And the only rules that they abide by are the rules enforced by the EVM. That that's the most bankless maxi, the most bankless future. Uh, there is absolutely a time and place to be coupled to the real world, and I don't want to discourage anyone to uh, from doing that. But like the grand vision of DAOs belongs to Ethereum. And right now, it's going to be a little bit hamfisted if you try to couple into the real world, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it's it's hard. Okay, uh, a few things we're gonna just breeze by, David. The first is this: Visa is crushing it with crypto-linked card usages that top a billion dollars. So this is all the Visa cards that crypto banks are issuing, which are, are cool. Some of these are coming to market, one from Gemini, one from BlockFi, Coinbase is doing something. Uh, Crypto.com already has uh, something going. Visa's like, hey, we love it. Yeah. Topping a billion, this is working. Keep it coming. Uh, bullish, yeah. Uh, David, why don't you do the next one? Yeah, the Binance squeeze. Barclays, customers in the US, Barclays is a bank in the, in the, or excuse me, in the UK can no longer transfer funds to Binance. Binance, the undomiciled crypto bank, getting the squeeze from nation states. That's all I have to say there. It's like that vice grip, it's slow yep. squeeze mm -hmm. rather than a than a quick hit. Um, yep. Why don't you do this one too, yeah. David? What's going Elizabeth on? Warren gives the SEC July twenty eighth deadline to quote figure out quote crypto regulation. 
Uh, Elizabeth Warren has started, really started to stamp her feet about crypto as an industry. The, the thoughts behind this is crypto, or Elizabeth Warren is really bullish on a central bank digital currency, and so she wants to diminish the role and of the crypto industry and wants to regulate it in order to you know implement implement her CBDC. Overall, she is really just drumming up a lot of noise about how our industry needs to get regulated. And from what I can tell, she's extremely uninformed about it. I think Elizabeth Warren is a great politician. Uh, I think that she does a great job. I, I overall support her. I have not heard a single good noise out of her as it relates to crypto and the industry that I pay attention to. And so all of a sudden I feel very uh, resonant with the, like the libertarian cohort who just get pissed off at politicians who come in and start regulating other people's industries and other people's businesses while they have no like informed uh, position about it. That's what I see happening here. There's definitely some intent at play here. And uh, yeah, there's there's a broader plan here. All right, um, David, before we get into the takes, and we got a lot for the week, a lot of hot takes. Big, big we, takes episode some, this week. You're going to love these takes, guys. But before we get to them, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible. Bankless is proud to be supported by Uniswap. Uniswap is a new paradigm in asset exchange infrastructure. Instead of a cumbersome order book system where trades are matched with other humans, Uniswap is an autonomous piece of software on Ethereum, which is what Ryan and I call a money robot. No human counterparties or centralized intermediaries, just autonomous code on Ethereum. Input the token you want to sell and receive the token you want to buy. Something brand new in the Uniswap ecosystem is the Uniswap Grants program is now accepting applications for grants. We have been saying this for a while and we'll say it again. DAOs have money and they are in need of labor. If you think that you have something to contribute to the Uniswap DAO, apply for a grant to Uniswap. Just look at the size of the Uniswap treasury. It's almost $3 billion. This mountain of capital is looking for labor. Do you have something of value to contribute to the Uniswap DAO? No matter how big or small your idea is, you can apply for a uni grant at unigrants.org and help steer Uniswap in the direction that you think it should go. That's exactly what we did to get Uniswap to be a sponsor for Bankless, and you can do the same for your project. Thank you, Uniswap, for sponsoring Bankless. The Aave protocol is a decentralized liquidity protocol on Ethereum, which allows users to supply and borrow certain crypto assets. Aave version 2 has a ton of cool features that makes using the Aave protocol even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi money Legos, yield, and composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can supply to the protocol in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have supplied collateral. Here you can see me borrowing 200 USDC against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens in ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock in that interest rate in permanently. V2 also features the ability for users to swap collateral without having to withdraw their assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. With Aave, users can do this in one seamless transaction, saving you time and gas costs. Check out the power of Aave at Aave.com. That's A-A-V-E.com. All right, guys, we are back with the takes for the week. Let's start with this one from Chainlink God, who says, a blockchain without oracles is like a computer without the internet. He got the meme correct this time, his words. A blockchain without oracles is like a computer without the internet. What's your thought? 
Yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool way to illustrate the role of oracles when it comes to blockchains. Blockchains uh, only know what is true according to their internal state. Ethereum only knows about Ethereum, so it needs oracles to know things about the rest of the world. And so Chainlink God, who is literally the instantiation of bullishness on Chainlink itself, uh, uh, he kind of compares and contrasts this to like, well, if you just have a computer but no internet, the computer only knows things that are on the computer. But if you connect it to the internet, you can Google what is the weather in Argentina or whatever. Uh, and so I think that's a pretty cool way to illustrate the role of, of oracles and blockchains. Okay, oracles, super important. Agree with you, Chainlink God, on that. Um, what about this take? This is kind of a contrasting take. Or yeah, here's the yin and the yang. That was the bullish yeah. chain link. Here's the bearish chain link. Give us the yang. What's, yeah, what's so, going on here? Uh, yeah, this Twitter account, which I've never seen before, Edgar Arut says, wake up. Chainlink controlling all information inflow on chain is the worst possible coming dystopia. And Ooh. then goes through a thread about all the risks of what happens when Ethereum only receives inbound information from Chainlink oracles and Chainlink oracles alone. It's a centralization risk. Like Chainlink is the only thing providing external data to Ethereum. Uh, and he goes, uh, think uh, indisputable history blockchain plus a gaslit army of zombies calling it fair private mem. Uh, uh, I think that's referring to the Chainlink army. And then he also says a private mempool with unverifiable node software. That's the Chainlink Chainlink uh, infrastructure. And then Edgar says, think more widely than just token prices, which is largely what Chainlink is currently used for. Real estate deeds, oil prices, passage of law, marriage deeds, all funneled and contro controlled by a tiny cabal with insane power. Again, referring to Chainlink here. Uh, and then, and then he kind of goes into the nuances and the critiques of Chainlink uh, in a kind of a, a nuanced way, which I won't go into on the on the Bankless Weekly roll up here. But he is saying that there is just too much centralization and consolidation on Oracle power to the Chainlink network, and we need to diversify some of that power outside to other Oracles. Well, I I think we should always have some skepticism about Oracles, um, particularly off-chain Oracles. This is why I like um, Ether so much as an asset. Like Ether's price isn't based on anything external, right? We've called it right. the the most trustless uh, form of economic bandwidth um, for Ethereum, right? Other assets are not like this. Even something like Maker, DAO, uh, requires an Oracle to function. Uniswap is pretty beautiful in that it doesn't require an Oracle. I love right. the sorts of DeFi uh, primitives that like come without and don't require an Oracle. So right. Oracle is designed, but with that said, oracles, oh my God, they're super useful right. for getting all sorts of different, you know, synthetics and DeFi products. And, you know, as this person's saying, uh, real estate deeds, oil prices, commodity prices, all of these things on chain. And so they're useful in the here and now, but they could become a centralization vector and they are dependent on the degree to which Chainlink is actually decentralized, right? right? Um, I don't know if I'd prefer to live in a world with many different oracles. I probably would. Um, I'm not sure all of the details of Chainlink's level of centralization versus decentralization. But also, David, there's an element that, look, anything coming off chain into the blockchain is going to be centralized right. at some level. Yep. So can you really get around all of these things? What are your thoughts? Yeah, Ch Chainlink is supposed to be a decentralized Oracle network, as in like even though there's there's only one Chainlink network, the participants of the Chainlink network are sufficiently decentralized. Whether that's true in practice is up for debate, and that is the subject of a lot of debate in the Oracle world. 
I am I am bullish on all kinds of oracles. MakerDAO just solved their own problem and made their own oracles, and now other people can use those oracles. Compound has hooks into its own network of oracles using both centralized and decentralized options. Ch uh, Coinbase offers oracle services. A lot of exchanges offer oracle services. CoinGecko offer offers oracle services. The pattern of robustness is that you have redundant and redundant and redundant oracles. And dependence on Chainlink is not redundancy. I want to see competition amongst oracles. And I'm not seeing that. I'm just seeing people just hook into Chainlink over and over and over again. All right, David, let's take a look at this next take. Uh, this is from Balaji. The creator economy is becoming part of the crypto economy, he says, because legacy social media platforms have no real concept of digital property rights. This is a hot take. And he goes on and he talks about Substack, Twitter, Facebook. They're all great, but they are intermediate steps. Ghost goes further. You can run it at a domain that you control. Decentralized media platforms go further still. You hold the private keys. He, he goes on to make the point that- Oh, no, like, that, that third tweet, I think is really, really important. All he, right, fi look. he finishes up with, under communism, there was no such thing as personal property. Everything that transpired in the PRC and USSR was downstream of that economic illogic, the root cause. The restoration of private property was one of the keys to unlocking the Chinese economy. And Nick Carter uh, wrote an article- a while ago, kind of a kind of a niche article that didn't really make th make through the mainstream. mainstream I read it. I love that one. Which one are you you Which one are you talking Where about? Where he talks about like property rights. Right. He talks about like yeah the, the success of developing nations and the economies of nations as it relates to how strong their property rights are. And he made the made the uh, association made the claim that the stronger the property rights, the more innovation and development is allowed to happen because people have assurances as to the assets that they own. So Ryan, you and I are big on Twitter, big degenerate tweeters. We don't own our Twitter handles, even though we made all the work to produce the value of the content of for the people that follow us on Twitter. If we actually owned our own Twitter handles, which we don't, we would have longer, better assurances as to what we could do with our Twitter accounts and that could blossom into something new. And so this is what Balaji is talking about. He's saying the crypto economy or the, the creator economy is, is coming uh, and in with the Web3 world, the world where we own our own social media platforms, there's going to be a blossoming of just like content and innovation and creatorship because people own the land that they are settling on. I think that's a really good take. Yeah, we are basically renting our Twitter accounts. Yep. Twitter could deactivate us at any time. We can't take the communities with us. They nope. can um, punish us via algorithm. Uh, you too, any social media property that they you have- They did it to a president. Right, any social media property you have is is rented property, not owned. So it's like, it's like, um, like building your house on someone else's land, right? And in particular, a, a faceless corporation's land right. Right. that has no notion of individual rights. I guess there's a user agreement, but that is not like a charter of, of no. freedoms or a bill of rights. <laughs> you in must sign in order to have that anyways. That's Who reads it? Oh my God, how can you read it? Mm -hmm. um, anyway, that's a great take by Balaji. He follows it up with this take. Why don't you read this? Yeah, from internet influencer to crypto creator, the internet influencer was forced to rely on legacy media and social media platforms. The crypto creator uses decentralized media to become completely independent from them. This reminds me of just how like there was once three channels and now there are like a million YouTubers, right? Like there used to be this one approved form of information and media and now there's going to be like a bajillion of them, Bankless being one of them. Uh, and, and that is a take here.
Totally. Everybody can like social media allowed everyone to become Oprah Winfrey if they wanted to, right? There wasn't mm -hmm. just like one place to, to go for that level of, of influence. But what this also means, David, is all those influencers that the internet has built up over the last 10, 15 years, they're going to find a conduit into crypto and they're going to come right. into crypto. They're going to bring their communities into crypto with them. We've already seen this with, with Gary Vee. Um, his NFT sales platform is doing pretty well. I uh, read recently that he's already booked a million dollars in, in terms of, um, you know, uh, it was like volume or, or something. There was some metric that was important. Anyway, he's bringing his entire it Clearly wasn't that important. <laughs> uh, it was something, it was, some, I can't remember. Too many numbers going on in my head, but um, thanks for that. Oh my God. We have a soundboard now on, on weekly roll-ups. Be my bane. Um, oh, sorry. And only David can control it. Yeah. Talk about centralization. <laughs> oh. See? I can keep See going. What I mean, See what I deal with. Anyway, all of these influencers, if there's anyone listening still, all of these influencers <laughs> will be coming to crypto and bring their communities with them. I think that's what this this means. That's what Blaji's saying. Here's another take from DCF God. He goes, this is a, a take on Binance and CDFI or really just crypto banks. He goes, Binance literally at the point where I need to upload a selfie video of myself <laughs> doing random shit to get my funds. Uh, and so he is trying to withdraw his assets from Binance and he has a withdrawal appeal page up. He has to appeal to withdraw. And here is the upload statement video instructions. You need to appear in the video and hold the information page of your ID document. Please clearly state the following. Today on month, day, year, I'm applying to withdraw X amount of X cryptocurrency from my account. I confirm that it is my activity and I am contacting Binance customer service to enable the withdrawal function of my Binance account. Here's my email address and phone number. Uh, and you have to actually do this a second time for a whole different, you have to do two of these things. Uh, and that sounds annoying and troublesome, especially when I compare it to just borrowing or trading or whatever on Uniswap. And all my ledger asks me is to approve a transaction or not. And it's one single button. Stark contrast, stark contrast. Uh, crypto banks, not looking so hot. Yeah, look, this is not self-sovereign finance. This the Binance is squeeze. Binance this is getting is not squeezed. Signed up for it. Look at this. I mean, this is this is terrible. You have to like record yourself saying these mm. things like um wow and yeah. that this is not just for the initial sign up process for aml kyc this is just to withdraw every time you need to withdraw can you imagine saying this yeah right i mean i mean i don't think that's what's going on i think if you want to withdraw most customers can just withdraw like normally and put your ethereum address which is already cumbersome to begin with because you gotta check your email like approve it blah 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 uh but th i think this might have happened if like i don't know uh, I don't know, like his, his account got compromised. I don't, either way, it's like a part of the Binance ecosystem and they're making people do it. Uploading a video is hilarious. Yeah. All right, Balaji again. Balaji again. Mm -hmm. He keeps dropping the takes this week. This one's, uh, this one's completely new though. I'll read this one. Balaji okay. goes, I'm not the first to observe this, but the speed and depth of innovation happening simultaneously in several fields is just not something that current societal institutions can handle. What Balaji is saying is there is so much innovation happening in this world, not just in crypto, but also definitely in crypto, that people just can't even come to terms with it. Like there is adva massive advancements in AI. There's massive adva advancements in bioengineering. There's massive advancements in in, in crypto. And Ryan, I think if you click on that text or click on that tweet, he might list, um, maybe it was a retweet that he ret retweeted himself. He just listed a bunch of things that like, 
societal institutions can't handle right now because they're really complex, they're really hard to understand, and they're advancing at an accelerated rate. And so I'm just reminded of our podcast with Josh Rosenthal about the crypto renaissance. You need to be on the on the fringes of at least one of these fields that's about to change the world. Because if you don't, then you're behind. Uh, and so be a part of the revolution, undergo the revolution rather than it uh, happening to you. Uh, and so if you are, it, it would be unfortunate to be part of this legacy, uh, legacy world and have all this massive rate of change happening that you're just ignoring because it's too complex and you can't keep up with it. Uh, change is coming to the world. Again, this is almost a completely a conversation outside of crypto. Change is coming to the world and you need to be on the ball in the 2020 decade. Absolutely. Yeah, you can't just trust your financial advisor, right? You can't just <laughs> trust your college admissions like mm -hmm. officer. You can't mm -hmm. just trust, you know, whoever, whoever's saying, you, yeah, if you just sock away your funds in a 401k and work at a steady job for 20 years, right. there's going to be like retirement. There is no steady job career. for the next 20 years. Not look, one job will last for 20 years. Truth. It's going to be That's completely different. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you got to get ahead of this. This is not the, you know, not the era our parents grew up in. Um, you know, it's really cool too, as he said, current social institutions can't handle this. Uh, crypto is a new institution. Remember when we had Bellagion, he talked about like the crypto nation state, mm -hmm. actually creating a little literal sort of nation state that is built on crypto institutions. That's the sort of thing he was talking about. If we're gonna handle this rate of change, we need new institutions. Um, let's do this one. Why don't you read it out, David? Yeah, okay, so this is a, a retweet of a Stani tweet. So it starts with the Stani saying that, a kind reminder that 60% of DAI is backed by USDC, which is a little bit of a knock on DAI. Like what good is a trustless stablecoin if 60% of it is backed by trusted collaterals, trusted assets, which is just a dollar. So DAI is- It's a it's, good take. I it's a good take, yeah. Uh, DAI is basically 60% USDC. Uh, is that really what we want when it comes to a trustless stablecoin? Maybe not. And then Stefan from the Rye slash Reflexor project goes, another reminder that if you simply backed your pegged coin with ETH, you still have a broken peg. And so that is harking back to the days where DAI was single collateral DAI or back when multi-collateral DAI was largely just ETH. DAI had a lot of trouble maintaining the peg. It fluctuated between 95 cents to a dollar and five cents until they really opened up US dollar backing of DAI. And so Stefan is saying, there's a trade-off. There's a trade-off here. And perhaps it's actually not possible to have a pegged trustless stablecoin without compromising the uh, the composition of the collateral that is behind it. Uh, and so what the, what the through line is, and, and Stefan, he's the CEO of Reflexor. So he's very incentivized to promote Rye as a product. So there's his bias there. But I, I still agree with him. Is he saying that perhaps... The pegging is the problem. Perhaps we want a stable coin that's unpegged because then we can have Ether as collateral, Ether being the only collateral behind Rye, and then we have our, our trustless stable coin. Maybe we just lose the peg and we keep the stability, and that's what Rye is. But whatever he's saying, he's saying that like, well, if you back DAI with uh, centralized stable coins, that's a problem because you're backing it with centralized stable coins. If you back it with just ETH, well, then you lose the peg anyways between because DAI That's has, what Rye is doing. That's what Rye is doing, yeah. yeah. Backed by ETH, right. we're okay with losing the peg to the dollar. Yeah. We can create our own unit of account here. Yeah, and so the, the through line is trustless stable coins are hard. Uh, DAI has its problems and it, and its you know solutions. It is still a great product. Um, but if we really want to have the self-sovereign trustless stable coin that we've all wanted, maybe we got to lose the peg to the dollar. Well, it's funny too, because all the algorithmic stablecoins without collateral, 
without mm-hmm. any collateral backed have failed. Failed. All, blown like, up all of violently. them so far. They've all blown up and they've blown up relatively quickly. Yeah. Um, so maybe there's no way to solve that problem too. There's so much, so many, so much experimentation that goes on in the stablecoin space. I'm I'm really excited to see all of it. Um, how about this one? MEV negative externalities alert. This is from Robert uh, Miller. This Polygon bot has been active uh, since June 29th and has sent 2 million transactions, failing almost all the time. These failures cost close to nothing, but they bloat the state, while the few successes pay for the failures many times over. This is MEV at work, but on Polygon, the transactions cost almost nothing. Right. So it's just MEV with no cost and right. a lot of upside, but there is cost to the public system, right. the public good that is Polygon in the form of state bloat. What's your take here? Yeah, so there is a spectrum of scale and trade-offs, right? And so Polygon has really optimized for a very, very scaled side of this of the uh, scaling spectrum. And that, that's why Polygon, transactions on Polygon are actually going to be like a lot cheaper than transactions on uh, Arbitrum or Optimistic Rollups. Uh, transactions on Arbitrum and Optimistic Rollups, they're going to cost like a number of pennies up to 50 cents, maybe even up to a dollar. They will be an order of magnitude better than the Ethereum main chain, but they're not going to be free and instant. Uh, they still will be instant. They will not be free like how they are on Polygon. Polygon has scaled differently. It's made some trade-offs. It has even more scale than Optimism and Arbitrum, and then you can get even cheaper fees. But when you go that far down the uh, down the spectrum of scale, um, then you have externalities. And so because they have made transactions so incredibly cheap, it has been economically rational for this MEV bot to spam the Polygon blockchain with random transactions, hoping one of them hits. And in the certain scenarios that there's probably some sort of strategy that this MEV bot is trying to trying to do, make, make trades on QuickSwap or something, I don't really know. It's not the point. The point is, is that it's economically rational for this bot to spam transactions over and over and over again, trying to like catch a fish. And the every time it catches a fish, it just makes it all of the spam worth it. And this ends up just adding more and more state into the Polygon blockchain, which means that all the Polygon validators are downloading all, every single transaction that this bot is doing and downloading that into the state that they are downloading it. And then the whole network has to absorb all of these spam transactions because the transactions are so cheap. Uh, and so this is uh, the MEV is causing negative externalities, which is what Robert started this tweet off, is adding bloat because of how cheap transactions are. And remember... You pay transaction fees because we need to meter resources when we use these public systems. Uh, and so the while our uh, Polygon is so awesome because it is so incredibly scaled, it has its own network costs to this, which we are starting to see. Yeah, yeah. State is definitely a negative externality. It's a public good that no one pays for in these chains right now. And that is the issue because it, because it can lead to that centralization. Now, B- Binance chain just like removes all the... Um, all the guards on this and like their, their state has swollen, um, you know, so much above a terabyte now. Yeah. It's very difficult to, to run, uh, Binance validators, but that's of course, okay. It's because there's only like 10 or 11 of them and they're all appointed by Binance. Um, Polygon has the same issues. They have some more, um, guardrails in place Mm -hmm. for state. And so they're trying, they're limiting it in other ways. But the interesting point I think is that whether you're a side chain, whether you're the main chain, Ethereum, or whether you're a layer two like Optimism or Arbitrum, you're all going to have this state bloat problem and it's going to be a centralizing factor. Now, 
I'm waiting to see the first um, kind of iterations and changes to this. Uh, Vitalik, I don't know if you caught the post recently that Vitalik wrote, it might've been uh, Ethereum Research, where he proposes a few um, uh, solutions to Ethereum mainnet state below, right? Um, one of them is this idea of like, it's not quite um, state rent, but it's state expiry, where mm. like state expires after a certain point in time. Archive nodes, like distant archive nodes can still keep it. But if you want to reactivate that state, you have to send a special transaction to reactivate that state. Mm -hmm. So that's like one idea that's floating out there. Um, you know, there, there are some other ideas um, as well that, that some of these chains have. I know when we had Optim when we had Arbitrum on, they talked about, you know, some of their concepts that they were pursuing in the future. But the key thing is state can't be free in these chains. And if it is free, it'll just bloat and become centralized. So somebody has to pay for this in the future. Uh, anyway, all these chains will have to work through it. I think Polygon will work through it as well. I think it'll be okay, but it's just a hidden cost. Somebody tweeted at me the other day, David, there's like, yeah, um, I'd be bullish on DeFi and crypto as soon as gas fees go away. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah. okay. I wouldn't. <laughs> Gas fees will go away on L2s, but like you said, I wouldn't wait until until becoming bullish at that point. Um, yeah, no, but I also mean like you have, there has to be a cost yeah. to this stuff. It yeah. can't, th these transactions yeah. can't be free. Um, we're just used else. to the whole like Facebook, you know, freemium model where we're like, oh yeah, we don't pay for our products. We just get, we just pay for them in other ways. Like you pay we for them, them with your soul. Product. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I just uh, just uh, for the um, people who are newer into this ecosystem and want to understand why this is so important, think of state blow as literally it's just it's the size of the chain in in like gigabyte terms. In these and and just think about a crypto economic system that is like twenty gigabytes versus twenty terabytes. If you are only twenty gigabytes, your literal footprint on the internet is smaller, and you are more anti-fragile, more for, uh, more you know spreadable, more viral. Anybody it's, can run it, and more decentralized, right? And so, a smaller, more lightweight system, which which is what Bitcoin, when small blocks in the small block wars and the block wars for Bitcoin, that was this fight. This was this fight: is can we make our blockchain crypto economic system lightweight and, and easy to manage. Uh, and one of the big crit critiques of Ethereum is that we allowed our state bloat to grow really, really quickly in the early days of Ethereum. Now we are trying to, to corral that. It's a big problem of crypto. But overall, we like our systems to be smaller, lighter, easier to download, easier to sync. And, that's, and the more state you have, the more state bloat you have, the harder it is to achieve those goals. So there's trade-offs, balances. There's your little learning lesson. There we go. Let's talk about this last one. So this is um, Jacob. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's MEV performance of Uniswap V3 or economic exploits, let's take a minute to recognize that a transparent financial system means that people all around the world with nothing more than an internet connection can openly examine flaws and collectively work to resolve. Transparency is the most underrecognized property of decentralization. It is a basic requirement of decentralization. A non-transparent system can never be decentralized. And then he goes on, every critic, every troll, every diehard anti-coiner makes the system stronger. Critics can crit criticize precisely because the base system is transparent. Regulators can call crypto a systemic risk because they can actually see how many stable coins mm -hmm. exist on chain. Think about how incredible it is that uh, less than 24 hours 
after an exploit, there are dozens of Twitter threads, postmortems, and blog articles flush with data revealing the precise flaw. What does this look like in TradFi? A back page Bloomberg article two years after the event? Open public systems allow society to scale. They increase the speed and efficiency of information, coordination, collective learning, and collective resolution. I'm just going to finish this, David. Yep. This idea of open decentralized finance is bigger than Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Satoshi. And if preserved, if we choose to value it above all else, we'll live far beyond any implementation of it. That's a great tweet thread. That's well a said. great tweet thread. Yeah, I don't even have too much to add. Jacob did just a, comp- just a great job summarizing this. Basically, systems that are inside out have all of their flaws exposed. And so, sure, there are plenty of critiques about our industry. People critique our industry all the time. It's because it's transparent and they actually can find things to, to critique about. And that actually makes the system better because our flaws stick out like a sore thumb forcing us to have to address them rather than sweep them under the rug. Uh, this is this is the metaphor of, Andreas Antonopoulos made this metaphor of bubble boy versus like the sewer rat, where like crypto is the sewer rat, right? Like it just eats diseases for breakfast because it's become immune to them. Whereas legacy finance is the, the, the bubble boy, like any one little ounce of bacteria that like gets inside the bubble causes the whole system to just like die, right? Uh, and so be, because we are an inside out industry, we wear all of our flaws on our surface. Everyone knows what our flaws are and we know how to answer to them and correct them and route around them. Uh, and this is why our industry is anti-fragile and why our industry is going to eat all the uh, the legacy industries. Nice. Yep, I agree. Even like, so I've, I've been part of some conversations about MEV and like criticisms of minor extractable, um, min, minimum extractable value on- Ma- Maximum extractable Maximum, value. excuse me, extractable value on Ethereum lately. And what, what the critics fail to recognize is that in uh, traditional systems, right? They're extracting the value, but you just can't see it. Right. So there's nothing to criticize. There's mm-hmm. no data points here. Right. Like how do we know whether- you know, GameStop had a conversation with Citadel to, to halt, halt trading or treat one uh, group different than another. Same with Bitcoin, by the way. Like so much activity, MEV activity in Bitcoin doesn't happen on Bitcoin because you can't trade on Bitcoin. You can't take out a loan on Bitcoin. What can you do on Bitcoin? You can move it from one address Answer to another. Yep. All of this activity happens inside of crypto banks. Can they be front running you? Like how about BitMEX, right? right? I mean, like the black box derivatives model. It's so much better when all of this is uh, upfront in the open, completely transparent, even when we have to deal with MEV problems, at mm-hmm. least we see what we're dealing with. That is something the crit- critics don't take into account. Well, that transparency with MEV really creates a completely different like context for what this industry is trying to do with MEV. Like, like you said, the, the concept or the same patterns of MEV exist in the legacy financial world. There are people with like fiber optics cables that are measured to exactly the same as others because people want to get their trades in faster. There's order routing, routing like deal flow. MEV in the, in the legacy world is, is massive and it's just got captured because no one really tried to collaboratively solve the problem. In the crypto world, we all see MEV and the problem that it creates. And now we are trying to collaboratively solve the problem rather than just like raising the the white flag and saying, you know what? Like we're just going to let some company win and capture all the value here and we'll just give up. That's what happened. We are actually, because it's transparent, we are actually trying to solve this problem and make a more equitable financial system because you can view it. 
the, your only choice in the legacy world, even the crypto bank world is depend on regulators. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's how the existing system solves it. If we yep. catch you doing something that's against the law, right. if we catch you, right. Then you know you you have the threat of the the long arm of the law. Yeah. Um, oh, you you extracted a hundred million dollars from your clients, and we you did it in a way that's against regulations. Here's a five million dollar fine. God, how how often do bankers go to jail? Remember two thousand eight? One guy went to jail. One. one? Oh wow. Good good. I'm glad we got him. I'm glad we got him. Yeah, there was a scapegoat. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's it, David. Let's uh, let me ask you, what are you excited about this week, man? Uh, I'm gonna uh, in, uh, invoke my Anthony Sazano here, where he tweeted out how the stars are aligning for Ethereum, and so th- I'm gonna play off of what Anthony was uh, saying this week. We got EIP one five five nine nine on August fourth. We got the merge coming in Q four Q one twenty twenty two. Got layer two is coming in July. It's July now, by the way. We got Arbitrum and Optimism uh, rolling out probably this month. Uh, the rebirth or renaissance of NFTs. We got institutional DeFi now. We got banks staking Ether. Like, I don't know, like, what more bullish fundamentals like you want I can ask for. But like, I feel like I'm getting all of them. I feel like I'm getting every single bullish fundamental I've ever asked for in my time in Ethereum. And it's all seemed, it all seems to be on the horizon. Like, that's what I'm excited about. Like, it, it's, it seems to be finally here. Yeah, dude, we definitely have a lot. And I, I'm going to just, uh, my, my, what I'm excited about is I'm just going to riff on the EIP 1559 because that's something we've been, I remember when you wrote an article on Bankless 2019 called The Missing Puzzle Piece. The Missing Ethereum. Puzzle Piece to Ethereum's Monetary Policy. And it talked about EIP 1559. This is a proof of work issuance. I'm going to display this because like- Eth- Ether's proof of work spent issuance. Some time. Yeah, sorry. This is Ether's proof of work issuance. I spent some time creating this. Uh, and this is um, annual percentage on the left axis. Starting at 20% annual uh, issuance percentage. So block time increases, issuance reduction one, issuance reduction two. And now here we are here, which is uh, August- 2021 EIP 1559 goes down. Ether is going to start to be burnt. Don't know mm-hmm. how much. That depends on block space demand at any given time, but it's going to go down. It's going to be burnt until the merge. And then guess what? Falls off a cliff. Mm-hmm. All proof of work issuance ends. We're at about 4.1, 4. uh, 4.2% or so annual issuance in, in proof of work. There's also proof of stake issuance on top of that. Um, but all of that comes to an end. And then we get into this new era, David, this new issuance policy, monetary policy era, post EIP 1559, post the merge, which is kind of the ultrasound money era, basically, Mm -hmm. where we're gonna be like less than 1% issuance, likely negative issuance for Ether for the rest of the platform's life cycle, Mm -hmm. right? That's the plan right now. So I'm excited about that because EIP 1559, is the first step to ultrasound money. Get to the merge later, probably early um, 2022. 20, uh, but this first step is absolutely a monumental event in Ethereum's issuance policy, monetary policy history. It's great for ETH the asset. Totally. This this chart of Ether's issuance or Ether's monetary policy is a favorite chart of Bitcoiners to like FUD Ether as money or Ethereum's monetary policy because they'll I show got a few you here. They, oh yeah. <laughs> they, they show you this chart and be like, look, look at how irregular this chart is. It's jagged. It's not stable. Who knows where it's going to go next? But if you got, if you look at that chart, 
it tells you a very, very solid trend of just a down into the right and also stabilizing over time. It was chaotic in the first, in the first two years of Ethereum. I will give you that in 2019 onwards, it has been very stable and it's now going into the final phases of Ethereum's monetary policy where we just don't have to touch it forever. Maybe, maybe yeah, have like, it, this is not, it's just not even that hard to understand this, this issuance just, policy. Right. There's been like two issuance reductions, right? Mm -hmm. the, 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 the places where it's gone down and risen back up have been because of a difficulty bomb that's right. been embedded in the, in the, in the code to force Ethereum to upgrade, to get to right. proof of stake, hard fork. When that difficulty bomb is uh, t taken away, then uh, issuance goes back up temporarily for a period of time, but it's always down. It's this always is, down. And it's, it's, like, it's also stabilizing over time, which is the yes. really the important thing. It is becoming exactly what Bitcoin you're saying, or Bitcoin Maxis, sorry, excuse me, Bitcoin Maxis say that Ether's monetary poly, policy they said it. They say it's is, like the Fed. Right, it's like, the, which is fucking ridiculous. Excuse me, sorry, sorry <laughs> for the F word. But it's becoming more dependable, more stable over time, and importantly, extremely low. And so like this, this chart is again, historically a favorite chart by Bitcoin maxis to FUD Ethereum. And I think it's about to flip into ether peoples, ether maxis, whatever, our favorite chart to illustrate the power of Ethereum's monetary policy. Look how low it is and look how stable it is. It's about to become a bullish ETH monetary policy chart, not a bearish one. Minimum necessary issuance. All right, man. We pr we promised everyone the meme of the week. Meme Let's of the week. get to the meme of the week. Meme what of the is week. it? Oh my gosh. What is this guy's name? Harold. 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 Yeah, a, a meme favorite. And Harold's uh, is drinking a, a cup of coffee, looking at his laptop, and he says, <laughs> "I don't want a nine to five job. No one in the crypto world wants a nine to five job. We want to work in crypto." So Ryan, take us to the next panel. Oh, there's the next panel. There you go. <laughs> now, now I'm in crypto. Now I work twenty four seven. And Ryan, you and I were talking before the, the show face. about like how we like <laughs> resonate with this meme a little bit too much. Like, never worked I so could, much in my life. I could never <laughs> imagine myself going back to like a nine to five, like show up, show up at nine, close the clock out at five type job anymore. I don't know how I would do it. But then also I realized like, oh yeah, now I just like, uh, I'm not really ever turned off when it comes to working. <laughs> that is a downside, right? Not ever turned off. But like, I also, when I am working, don't feel like I'm working exactly, exactly. as much. I mean, there's yeah. some things which just feel like work, but like, mm -hmm. so it's a double-edged sword here too. But mm -hmm. oh my God, I can relate. Like yeah, too no. much time on crypto. <laughs> Markets don't turn off. Crypto Twitter doesn't turn off. Crypto is a is a global phenomenon. So announcements go out at two in the morning, whether whether you are awake for them or not. Uh, and so like the overall working in the crypto industry, the, the lines are definitely blurred between like what is work, work, and, play. And, work and play. Yeah, which is uh, you know, <laughs> pros and cons. Like sometimes you just don't want to have to be working, but also it's not that bad. Also, it's just not that bad. Yeah, that's right. You could you could definitely set your own <laughs> schedule. Consume as much or as little as you want. Uh, all right, guys, this has been the weekly roll up. Uh, as always, none of this was financial advice. Bitcoin and ETH are risky. So is DeFi. You can lose what you put in, but we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. Thanks a lot. Thank you.